0: Welcome to Technovation. I'm your host Peter High. My guest today is Naveen Zuchi. Naveen is the Chief Information Officer of Databricks, a data lakehouse architecture and AI company that earns in excess of a billion dollars in annual revenue. Naveen's been in role since January of 2022, and he's the first ever to hold the title of Chief Information Officer at Databricks. In less than two years, Naveen has helped the company navigate continued remarkable growth while helping the company develop a technology footing emblematic of the future that it anticipates. Uh, and remarkable growth to come. Prior to his current role, Naveen was the Chief Information Officer of Palo Alto Networks, as well as Senior Vice President on the technology team at Gap. Naveen, welcome to Technovation. It's great to speak with you today.
1: Really looking forward to the conversation, Peter.
0: I, I've been looking forward to it as well. You're nice to say that, Naveen. Let, let's begin with your company, Databricks. Uh, I gave the uh, just the briefest of, of introductions. Take us a little bit deeper into the business that you're in, please.
1: Yeah, we are a data and AI company, as you were rightly pointed out. We have been a company founded by seven um, PhD slash uh, professors from Berkeley uh, 10 years ago. Five of those uh, founders are still with the company, which shows to the ethos of the company and the longevity of the founders themselves. We pioneered this uh, lake house architecture, which primarily brought uh, these two different separate concepts together, the concept of data warehousing and data lakes. I've been in data space a while as well as a user and used to have different products for different tools. Like I would have a warehouse tool like Teradata or and then I would have a data lake tool like Hadoop and I would copy data between the two systems And it was really complex for our users as well. And those different personas, let's say a data scientist, a data engineer, and a data analyst had to use different tools to manage their business. So we pioneered this platform, which is on Lakehouse. All these three personas can use the same platform. There is one copy of the data. You don't need to copy the data multiple times. And there's one governance model on top of that data. Uh, That's what is uh, exciting for our customers. We have over 10,000 customers now globally and growing. And uh, it's fascinating to see what the customers are doing with this uh, in terms of driving more decision making for their companies, improving and innovating in their companies.
0: Yeah, very interesting. What a a fascinating uh, journey and remarkable growth in a relatively short amount of time on top of that, Naveen. Well, let's let's get into your role itself. So you are the chief information officer, again, a little less than two years now in role. Uh, Talk a bit about your purview as CIO, if you would, Naveen. Yeah,
1: in terms of uh, my role, primarily three main aspects to the role. Uh, So first is helping the company scale through business transformation. So we have, as you can imagine, uh, significant growth both over the last two years and ahead of us. And we have a lot of things done manually as a result of that. And being able to automate that either through building applications or procuring SaaS applications, and integrating them is a big chunk of what me and my team do. Second, um, on the infrastructure side, really from corporate engineering, working with engineering teams, working with the rest of the company, providing services. And these services could be anywhere from uh, technology services in your office or uh, collaboration services, search services, other services that will make you as an employee be more productive. So that's that's the other part of services I do. And then the third part is um, Databricks on Databricks. Are we the first customer of our product? And I meet a lot of customers as a result of that. Uh, and then talking to those customers, sharing best practices of how we have implemented and listening and learning from them as well.
0: It's very, very interesting. A couple of uh, follow ups to that. Number one, I'm curious now, multiple times over, you have been the CIO of companies where the product itself is fundamentally tech centric. And so different from your role, for instance, at Gap, where presumably the preponderance of tech talent was in the team that you were a part of, different from the various functions around the organization by and large. At a place like this, just as in your past at organizations like Palo Alto Networks or at Cisco for that matter, uh, tech there, there are tech savvy people and engineers across multiple parts of the organization. In those sorts of settings, how do you think about differentiating what IT does um, relative to other tech parts of the organization?
1: Yeah, I think it uh, can be a challenge. I think one of the things you have to do is uh, you have to make sure that your team is more engineering centric in tech companies rather than non. And so what I mean by that is, uh, for example, at Databricks and both at Palo Alto Networks, we set up this product management function with an I- IT. We had a strong engineering function with an IT as well, so that you can face up to engineers and you can gain their respect and trust in terms of delivering solutions to them. Uh, and, and the second thing is what I've learned over time is regardless of whether you are in a tech company or not, in a tech company, engineers want to build products for the customers and they have a huge need for internal tooling and internal processes improvement. And they don't want to necessarily do those. They want IT to actually deliver great service, great onboarding experience, uh, great network experience, great tools and great applications. And then on top of that, you have other functions as well. So we still have a really strong, in fact, if you look at our organization, sales and marketing, go to market is probably the biggest spend and you can disrupt and positively disrupt that side quite quite a much in tech companies. And so if you look at the expense line, that is probably the biggest expense line and being able to improve that and make them more effective as well as make them more efficient is an area that... Uh, I've focused on quite quite a lot both at um, Palo Alto Networks and now at uh, Databricks.
0: And I, I want to also hear more about the Databricks on Databricks program that you help lead as well. An advantage you have relative to again the maybe non the the organizations that have been less tech centric in terms of their offering as an organization like this one, where you actually can be a customer and actually a uh, serve as a persona that first customer for the organization, and by by extension develop some conclusions and help fine-tune the offering in ways that would help further benefit this to your peers who are the buyers of, of Databricks products as well. Um, talk a bit about that that program in further detail, if you would, and, and perhaps the extent to which it also extends to you being an advocate for the company uh, on its behalf with your peer group.
1: Yeah, I think it started, uh, Peter, from this notion of we need to first and foremost be the biggest practitioner of our product, and even before I joined, uh, we were using Databricks quite heavily internally, as you can imagine, right? Uh, what we did is uh, over the last year and a half, we also built a lot more robust business data lake. We had a lot of data democratization, but like other companies, we had data fragmentation. And then being able to bring that data together into a common lakehouse architecture, we did that as well as putting more of a like stakes goal schemas, using medallion architecture, as well as implementing the right best practices. Then on top of that, building data products on Databricks, which has been quite interesting. And then over the last now eight months or so, all about Gen AI and building Gen AI products on top of Databricks. So I think when I talk to customers, we share our journeys and we share the mistakes we made and what we learned from those mistakes. And I think uh, customers resonate with that. And we also talk a lot about hiring. We talk a lot about best practices around how do you train up teams? How do you democratize data access and data governance? And so those are the things that are also quite appealing to our
0: customers. Yeah, very interesting. Uh, I wanna also talk a bit further about just what it's like to be a chief information officer in an organization that is growing as rapidly as it has been. You mentioned at the outset, the company is only 10 years old, and yet it has uh, surpassed a billion dollars in, in revenue. Remarkable success and remarkable growth. And in many ways, uh, the onus is on you, among others, to Uh, to build the technology, not for the company as it is today, but the company as it will be in a few years, which will continue to be dramatically different as a result of the continued growth uh, revenue-wise, customer-wise, obviously employee-wise as well. How do you think about managing through such rapid growth and change? There
1: are two competing things that pull at you. So there is this notion of speed and agility. You got to move really fast and then you also want to build it for scale and they can be at dissonance with each other. And what it what you really need to think about is what is that flexible architecture that you're designing, which enables you to build the foundations that maybe that take multi quarters, but are done well. And on top of those foundational elements, you can have a lot more speed and agility. And so I think that has been our focus. So the way that has been practiced at uh, Databricks is we broke our portfolio into transform, run and grow. And so if you look at our investments in IT, half of the investments are in transform and grow. And transformational projects are basically those foundational projects that are cross-functional in nature, have a huge impact to the company's uh, scalability and growth for future. uh, At the same time, take multi-quarters to complete. So as an example would be uh, the way we do our consumption business. Or the example, maybe picking a new billing and rating system or building a new quoting system. These are changes that you make once many years, but you need to make them right. We work a lot with each function and, and deliver on a quarterly basis a portfolio of applications that would benefit that function. So it could be a performance application or it could be even big like payroll replacement we did recently. But it could be small things like, hey, how can I use... Uh, LLMs to do contract management? Or how can I use RPA bots or simple bots to build uh, order processing and do order processing in a real time basis? Or look at collaboration techniques. How can I have a chat bot that can provide that fragmented knowledge base into one place from a search standpoint? So there are all these different initiatives that are ultimately meant to do two things. One, to drive the productivity of each employee in the company, and two, to help us drive more revenue per employee.
0: Very, very interesting. Thank you for that overview, Naveen. You mentioned already generative AI, certainly one of the topics that is on the minds of your peer group as Chief Information Officers and so many beyond that, actually. Um, And and I know this is a priority for your organization, one that's been steeped in artificial intelligence really since its genesis, Um, and as someone who, not only is immersed in the topic yourself, but also has reason to be in regular touch with a variety of your peer groups. I wonder, what are you seeing as the primary value that CIOs uh, are deriving from generative AI and the extent to which you'd care to offer your own um, thought process internally as well? We'd love to hear that.
1: Yeah, in many ways, we are at a seminal moment, right, with generative AI. And now it's been, since ChatGPT came out in November, it's been nearly 10 months now, and there's a lot of enthusiasm and that enthusiasm is driven by business itself. You know, often as IT professionals, you would push things and it would be a hard sell, but this is not the case. Here, you're getting a lot of pull effect. And sometimes the pull effect is rightly placed and sometimes it may not be rightly placed, but there is tremendous amount of enthusiasm in the business, in enterprise companies as how... Gen AI can make you as an employee more productive or make your company more productive or provide better customer service to our customers or provide better customer efficacy. And so we are seeing, like based on what I'm talking to many CIOs and internally as well, we're seeing three main areas initially that the focus has been. I think the first one is this notion of reimagining operations. And what I mean by that is where Gen.AI is augmenting what humans do. Uh, and, and so you can do more with the same set of resources. This includes you know, automating and enhancing operations. You know, For example, we have the sales ops function. We have HR ops functions. All these ops functions today do a lot of things manually. And there's a lot of things that can be automated or can be simplified with GenAI capabilities. Uh, in addition to that, if you look at marketing, legal, tax, supply chain, uh, you look at all these functions. In every organization, has these functions, you will see a lot of areas for improvement in terms of how much manual effort there is, and a lot of that manual effort is uh, repetitive and can be automated. Second is this notion of a copilot for development. I think uh, we started on this. Several, several months ago, we have all of Eng now on Copilot. We have all of IT on Copilot as well. And we are seeing initial good results, right? like I think, I think there are some, it's not going to replace the initial gloom and doom was it was going to replace all developers. It's not going to replace developers. At least the way I see it, it's not. There is still a lot of work that has to be done and you have to really understand the results that come out of gen AI products and can hallucinate as well. But at the same time, we are seeing uh, areas where it has been very useful, and that's what I'm also hearing from customers is, for example, test generation, unit test creation, uh, knowledge base generation from the code base itself, explanation of code base. For example, many of our developers don't like to read other people's code, but that is one of the things that they have to do all the time. And this enables you to make the code much more explainable, much faster. For pure code generation, I would say the jury is still out. There are some ways it's working well and other cases, probably not as much. And then finally, uh, there, is a, there is a way to unlock data using GenAI. So what I mean by that is today, you have to have a SQL skills or you need to have Python skills or R skills to use data science and data analysis. And in future, you can potentially use English. We at least announced something called Lakehouse IQ, where you can use English type language and it will convert into SQL and you can create dashboards and you can actually have some of the insights using just English as a prompt. Since it's grounded on the tables and the schema that you have in your architecture, the chances of hallucination and and not having accurate results is much lower. It enables a much broader democratization of data, and it enables much broader insights that you can use to make decisions without needing IT help or without needing data analyst help. So I think that is the third transformation. Those are the three waves that I see In addition to that, I think several verticals are going to change quite dramatically, right? If you look at education and training, you know, a lot of online training, a lot of VR training, you're suddenly seeing a lot of AI-based training. So I wrote a script and I can turn that into an avatar and have that provide training sets. And actually that would be pretty good rather than having to have a significant amount of time spent in building training models. So I see that as an opportunity Obviously, entertainment, you will see a lot of changes. You will see changes in personalizations for customers. We are already seeing our customers use it for driving better personalization to their customers. Uh, What was fascinating to see, Peter, is we look at the data of how many customers within our platform are using, let's say, the transformer architecture, which would be a predictor of LLMs. We have already 1,500 customers, and it's growing by the day, using LLMs within our platform because they're using transformer architecture now how many of those are in production you know when i talk to cios most of those are still in pilot not in production but there are use cases like customer support and are those use cases some of those are already in production today.
0: Very, very interesting. I appreciate that overview. I wanted to also ask you, how do you organize your team to take advantage uh, of Gen AI? And also curious what safeguards you put in place. Uh, much has been written for good reason about the potential risks of pursuing this with uh, w- without uh, intent. And I wonder what guardrails you're putting in place to ensure that, you know, your your data, for example, is is safeguarded.
1: Yeah, maybe let's start with the governance first, and then we can talk about how the team is structured. So in terms of the governance, uh, one, we have a legal policy that is also a security policy that we share with all of the company. Second, we focused on making sure our data and our customers' data never leaves the boundary of our company right? We want to make sure that is done. And there are ways you can safeguard that both in terms of either you can use open source LLMs and you can house them within your own uh, AWS instance or GCP instance, or you can have additional safeguards where those other foundational models that you're using are only using it for publicly available data, or they are not uh, training their AIs, they are a foundational model on your data. So you can have that as part of the contract with those companies as well. And then I, I think you are familiar with the fact that we acquired a company called Mosaic ML and their claim to fame is building these foundational models and you getting the chance to build your own foundational models that you can use internally and run on your uh, environments without needing to have to send your data outside and we have customers that are using it in that manner quite a bit as well to build new foundational models on top of that education quite a bit of the customer of our employee base second we build an abstract layer which is basically the proxy layer so that you as a employee are focused on using the proxy layer and then we control the underlying infrastructure associated with it and that is one way of having you still now allow, allow for innovation to happen in multiple places, but you allow for that innovation to be controlled. The other points are around toxicity, bias, as well as in terms of accuracy. So I think the biggest area that is an issue today is accuracy in enterprises, then obviously toxicity and bias too. Uh, on the accuracy front, uh, rags are a common model right now, which companies are using, including ours. Which is basically this uh, regenerative augmented generations, and where you are basically creating uh, vector databases, and you are basically training the model on your data, or or basically using vector embeddings to train the model so that the data, so that your data is in forefront of generation of the prompt or the response, and you are doing a lot of work on prompt engineering as well, combining those two. Will not eliminate hallucinations, but it will at least reduce that significantly. And and then the second thing is, I believe you have to have human in the loop in many of the cases. You can't just like turn it wild right now. That's why I talked about human augmentation rather than replacing what humans would do. So for example, we have a Slack bot, our support team built that is being used internally to better understand what the problem the customer is having. Ultimately, the response back to the customer is still by a human. So it is basically augmenting that employee to do their job faster or get to knowledge faster rather than completely replacing what that person does. I think around toxicity bias, there needs to be more work done there as well. We make purpose-built LLMs internally. If you ask a question around like general question, it's not going to answer it because it doesn't know about general details it's specific to, let's say we are pulling all the contracts and you want to see what clauses or uh, what contracts have non-standard clauses in them. It's going to give you that answer. But if you ask that same LLM to solve what a support issue is, it will say, no, it doesn't know because it's not trained on that data. So that's another way of reducing some of the things that you hear. And then in terms of the team structure, we are incredibly fortunate to have a really strong engineering team so we have an engineering team with data scientists in r&d so that we collaborate with and we have a data team in it as well so we partner very closely with the two teams in helping build some of these models
0: and i'd love to linger on the point of data more specifically you've noted the importance of data strategy as a precursor to take advantage of artificial intelligence and Gen AI more specifically. Explain a bit that logic, but also the methods you've used in order to uh, establish a sound uh, data strategy.
1: As technologists, it's easy for me to get enamored with the latest offering or tool and lose sight of the reasoning behind what we do. Also, many data and AI projects fail. There used to be a stat 80% of AI projects would fail. And in my experience, the failure mode can be traced back to not having a holistic strategy. And what I mean by holistic strategy is including a clearly articulated business need, establishing business sponsor, establishing a strategy on how the data architecture was scaled with the company growth, and establishing the right people mix in your team to ensure success of that strategy. Often before you make technology choices, having all of these pieces in place is actually more important. For example, even... Internally here at Databricks, we put together a written document on our internal data strategy that was established, had reviewed from many cross-sections of people, including the right leadership, before we started delivering on it. So having this notion of a written document that is well thought of, thought through, and that is well aligned with the, the company strategy is also quite important.
0: We talked a bit about uh, the rapid pace of growth that Databricks and Palo Alto, for that matter, before before it and the methods that you as chief information officer have used to ensure that your team is anticipating the needs to come, not just the needs of today. I wonder also, as someone who's worked at scaled organizations like a Gap, like a Cisco, what you see is some of the primary factors that... that uh, Uh, more recent startups, if you will, Uh, uh, Databricks is no longer a startup, but those organizations founded more recently can learn from mature, already scaled businesses, given your experience in both uh, worlds.
1: So what was interesting is I have this notion of like, I went to Cisco and then I went to Gap and then I went to tech companies back and you can leverage the technology learnings that you had in those tech companies to then leverage it and be the technologists in those what, what I would consider, quote unquote, a fashion company or a retailer, right? I would say the change still is the only constant that I've learned in regardless of which company I was in. What I discovered is if you don't take advantage of change, uh, you'll be left behind, even in mature businesses. Now, the pace of change may vary. And the thing that I've learned is think about the big decisions and make them right. And that's one of the things that mature companies do well. That have been around for many, many years, and they don't sweat the small decisions as much. Sometimes in smaller companies, every decision is magnified and it doesn't need to be. Not every decision is of equal importance. Uh, you know, there is this notion of one-door versus two-door decisions. And I think there are only a few one-door decisions. You know, once you make the decision, trying to claw that back takes a long time. And those are the ones that you need to really put a lot of thought and strategy behind. So that's one. In both Gap, as well as I used to be at Walmart a long time ago, customer obsession was really something that I learned there. Like how you think about the customer, the needs of the customer, what makes the customer excited. That was something I learned there. The third thing that I really learned is attention to details and execution matters. You know, at Walmart, it was interesting. They used to have Saturday morning meetings. And I would have to attend those for half a day. They would talk about the week and they would talk about the whole, what worked well, what didn't work well. And this was across all managers. At Gap also, when Glenn Murphy was there as a the CEO, I learned a lot from him in terms of how he thought about the business at a very detailed level. There were no detail was small for him. And I think that is really important like lesson for me was like, it didn't matter. He was the CEO of a company with 3,000 stores. He was still thinking about the small stuff as well. And I w- I would say good founders, good leaders, like take Ali at uh, Databricks is extremely hands-on and extremely detail-oriented as well. And that matters with execution.
0: Great thoughts all. Uh, we've talked about a number of rising trends related to data, AI, Gen AI. Are there other trends as you look to the future, Naveen, that excite you? What are some things that come to mind?
1: There has been this notion of quantum computing that has been on and off for a while. I think there is more, I would say, early breakthroughs there. I, I still don't know enough about the technology to tell you intelligently like how close it is to true breakthroughs. The Moore's law is under threat with computing, and this can completely disrupt it, but it will have ancillary impacts, you know, especially to cybersecurity, which was an interesting area for me. I think the second area is like, I spent six years in cybersecurity company like Palo Alto Networks. I think with Gen AI, how cybersecurity will get changed, both on the offensive side and defensive side. It's quite interesting. Obviously, uh, I would love to have self-driving cars. That would make our lives a lot simpler. I've been spending a little bit of time on this notion of carbon capture and how that can be done in a more effective manner. And I feel like not carbon offsets, but carbon capture, true carbon capture, if we can do it innovatively and do it technologically well, uh, that would be a huge boon for the humankind. So that's an area that
0: uh, is worth keeping an eye on as well. Good ones for for all of us to keep an eye out for, as you say. I also wanted to ask you, Naveen, as somebody who has risen to the C-suite multiple times over at consequential organizations, what are some of the secrets to your success, the difference makers along the way that have helped you reach this perch that you now have?
1: Saying yes to more things. I think second is having amazing mentors. I think more people are helpful Across the board, I find there are incredibly talented, incredibly smart people to work with. I've had the honor and privilege to work with some really, really bright, smart people who have helped me along the way. And I have mentors who have talked to and spent time with for the last 20 years. And then uh, I would say personally, curiosity and willing to learn and being open to being wrong i admire people who have that trait because that's a that's a great trait to have and uh, i've always been a little bit impatient to learn new things and and i think that has helped me in good stead
0: great advice uh, saying yes as often as possible finding great mentors uh personal curiosity but the the humility i'm throwing that in you not, not what you said but clearly i think a, a part of the consequence of that is humility to admit that you're wrong uh, and also that you're lacking knowledge that there's a necessity to be curious, curious in order to continue to learn. Well, Naveen Zuchi, thank you so much for a great conversation covering a variety of different topics and different stops even along your remarkable career arc. Uh, thank you for sharing especially a bit more about your journey uh, at Databricks and the remarkable change you have helped to usher in there. Uh, congratulations and, and uh, thank you again for a great conversation.
1: Thank you, Peter. It was a pleasure talking to you.